It's Wednesday, March 18th. Welcome to Market Fuller. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool, Supernova, and Rule Breakers, David Kretzman and Aaron Bush. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Um, so, you are back from Austin, Texas. You were at the South by Southwest event. Um, and I wanted to talk with you guys because I think for anyone, I'll just speak for myself. South by Southwest is one of those events that happens every year in Austin, Texas, that I've been sort of vaguely aware of for the past, I would say, decade or so. And I always think of it as, oh, that's really more of a pop culture entertainment type event. It's where filmmakers go to debut movies or to speak on panels about their films. It's where musicians go to try and get noticed, that sort of thing. But as we were talking about right before we started taping, increasingly, it is a place for the tech industry to go, particularly the startup tech industry. I think Twitter, uh, the first splash that Twitter made years ago was at South by Southwest. And it's now, it's now this event where it's not just musicians and filmmakers and the fans of those two industries that are going. It's increasingly investors. So let's talk a little bit about what you saw and and what the takeaways were. And Aaron, I'll just start with you. You were there for a few days. You went to some panels. I'm sure you talked to a bunch of people. What, As an analyst, as an investor, what was your number one takeaway from this event? Sure. So, really, one technology that is starting to permeate all areas, and this goes from transportation to healthcare to really just you name it, is really the boom of mobile. And I remember hearing from from one panel that today mobile is not actually the first screen. It's passed up television um, and definitely your desktop computer. And so as more services are getting piled onto mobile and you're just able to do more things and more people have them, um, everyone is, is starting to go that direction. And just so the whole idea of the app economy is really starting to catch on and accelerate. I want to come back to mobile in a second, but David, I'll just hit you with the same question. Your number one takeaway as an investor. I'm honestly still digesting a lot from the (laughs) conference, but one of the things that stuck out to me, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more, was uh, Bill Gurley. He's a venture capitalist investor. Uh, Just a a great guy to follow if you're interested in investing, entrepreneurship, things like that. He was talking about, he's an investor in Uber, uh, so you know the ride-sharing app, and he mentioned a stat that really stuck out to me is that on a global scale, uh, automobiles make up 15% of our capital expenditures uh, collectively. So 15% of the money we're spending is going to automobiles. But 97% of the time, those vehicles are just idle. They're just sitting around. They're not, they're not driving. They're just sitting. So that's really a massive investment that we're making in something that we really only use you know, a fraction of the time. So numbers like that for me just reiterate uh, the massive like disruptive potential of a company like Uber and, and following up on that uh, Ger- Bill Gurley he mentioned that Uber now has on a global basis 300,000 drivers and they're adding 50,000 new drivers each month so you just see every month every month it's crazy so, incredible expansion just uh, a huge amount of disruption and, and really it's just a tip of the iceberg so companies like Uber Lyft to a smaller degree, but especially Uber, uh, these companies are, are probably going to get a lot bigger in the years to come. Is the presence at South by Southwest, is it mainly made up of startup companies or are larger, well-known companies starting to have a presence there as well? I'd say it's a mix of everything. And it's 
been building that way more and more. It's still a great place for startups to come and try to make a name for themselves, but it's also just a place for big companies to, you know, follow the trends and build those relationships with others that really just it's it's really just a, a holistically, you know, business and tech environment now. And Aaron knows this better than me, but you can really I, I I consider Austin to sort of be the Silicon Valley of Texas. Like, it's there's a huge tech scene. So, yeah, you have the startups, but then you have companies like Dell, Apple, who are employing, you know, a couple thousand employees there. Like, they have these tech hubs uh, in Austin. There's a lot of talent there. Aaron and I, when we first flew in this past Thursday, uh, we visited the headquarters of Retail Me Not, it's a company that we follow in, Rule Breakers and Supernova. They have several hundred employees, but uh, really, you, you have just that startup culture feel like uh, they're really focused on culture just really fun perks fun offices things like that so the tech scene both from startups to mid-sized companies like real retail me not to the big massive tech behemoths like apple and dell they all have a presence in austin at this point let's go back to mobile for a second because we got a question recently from a listener that uh, has really got me thinking about uh, mobile as uh, as a data point, and basically, uh, the listener was saying, "Look, when it comes to mobile, I, I do a lot of things on mobile devices, but I also do them in my home." Which sort of got me thinking about, well, yeah, if you think about it, if you just had a desktop computer at your home and you were you were shopping on Amazon, well, that would that would that would not count as quote unquote mobile sales. But if you're sitting in your same home and you're shopping on Amazon with an iPad, that counts as mobile. My question is this. Do you think at some point in the not-too-distant future that ceases to be a meaningful data point? I, I get that for a lot of companies, they need to show, well, we're growing our mobile presence, that sort of thing. But I mean, to the point you made, Aaron, where increasingly, whether it's your phone or your tablet, mobile is the first screen you're hitting in the morning at some point, it really doesn't matter whether you're doing this stuff on your desktop computer or on a mobile device. I sort of feel like at some point in the future, it's just going to matter that you're doing it at all. Yeah, so I do think it is important. I think right now, what we're seeing is that just in terms of monetization for companies, mobile is pretty seriously lagging. And so there's really just a mad dash to figure out how to fill that gap. And so companies are really just trying to figure that out. So I think over you know a long enough period of time that'll that'll be more the case. But then even then you're thinking about well now you have smartwatches there, you have the rise of hyper localization and just all these other crazy factors. So I, I do think it will always be relevant, but it's just going to constantly be changing. The event itself is growing, not just in terms of the fact that you have this growing tech presence, uh, whereas once upon a time it was just music and film, but this year, for the first time, they had an expo dedicated to health and medical technology. Did you have the chance to check that out? And as investors, is that of interest to you? We, Aaron and I, uh, didn't spend too much time with uh, the health aspect. Uh, one of our, our colleagues on Rule Breakers, Simon Erickson, he spent some more time in that area. But yeah, th there was definitely a good amount of uh, talk, especially in when you're talking about wearables, uh, the impact that wearables will have on uh, health and fitness. But us personally, there are so many uh, sessions that go on there. Like, really, you you, it's a type of event where you wish you could be, you know, five places at once. It's like, man, there are all these incredible speakers, <laughs> these great businesses. But alas, you know, you can only choose one. So we didn't we didn't get too much time at the health and wellness. 
Bill Gurley, as you mentioned, uh, a very influential venture capital investor. Uh, his firm is behind, as you mentioned, Uber. They're also behind Snapchat. I want to hit you with a quote uh, that's been making its way through the financial media because one of the things he said, in, and he would be certainly an authority on Silicon Valley, the phrase he used was complete absence of fear. He said, right now in Silicon Valley, there's a complete absence of fear. That strikes me as dangerous as an investor. Maybe not necessarily dangerous for me personally, but anytime I hear about sort of, and I'm not saying we're going back to 2000, 2001, I'm not saying we're at the dot bomb bubble area, but that sounds like an environment that is just ripe for some of these companies to just completely implode. What he, I, I looked up in my notes right now because that was something that stuck out to me when we were, uh, you know, at, at that session with, uh, you know, hearing him talk. He, he said that uh, in Silicon Valley, they're, we're taking on a level of risk that has never been taken on before. So he described it as a risk bubble. So certainly, you know, if you think of, you know, a bubbly environment, you know, a la, you know, you know the dot com bubble, I, I would say we're pretty. Cl- close to that. You're certainly seeing elements of that. Uh, it's, I think it's more condensed to you know, the startup world and the, the private market. So as public investors, I don't know if we have as much to worry about, say, as in the, the late 1990s, but certainly uh, you, you want to pay attention when Bill Gurley says something like that. Yeah, and that is a very good point. The the valuations seem to be spiking much more in the VC world more than the public world, and so hopefully that could ease a little bit of fears. But really, just if we step back and think about it, he says that, and it's true, and we'll always enter these cycles. But it's really, really hard to get a true gauge of what's going on in, in terms of the valuations, and we can't look at the metrics ourselves. And so we we have to be careful just really clinging to those headlines or else we could, you know, overlook some opportunities ourselves. Well, and yeah, that, no, that's a great point. And you also have to take into account what Joe Mager refers to from time to time as people who are talking their own book, meaning everyone has their own bias, everyone has their own interests. Bill Gurley, a very smart guy, but he's a guy who's backing Uber. So at one point in the conversation, I was reading one report where he was being asked about driverless cars. And he sort of like smacked down that notion that I thought, well, yeah, if I were <laughs> a principal investor in Uber, I would hate the thought of driverless vehicles being ubiquitous. Yeah, no, certainly. I, I, I know we, we, there was also a session with the founder and CEO of, of Lyft, and he was actually a little more open to the idea of driverless cars because the mission, like Lyft and Uber, like Aaron and I were, were talking, like we really don't see much of a difference between the two services. They're both ride-sharing apps. You both, I mean, both places will get you from A to B. They cost about the same amount. But the CEO of Lyft, he 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 sees the vision of Lyft to basically eliminate. I, I forget exactly how he described it, but eliminate the need for cars for people to own a car. Uh, so he he was really open to the ideas of driverless cars. I think the one common thread between Bill Gurley, you know, the Lyft CEO, is that. I think they feel like it's a little further out than you know maybe you know five years or something like th- this is something it'll take decades you know, at least a couple decades I would say to to play out where you're seeing <laughs> where people don't actually need to drive a car anymore. Before we uh, get to some listener comments, uh, in terms of the work you guys are doing, and I know you're still digesting because I, I I haven't been to South by Southwest, but I have been to events where 
there are so many sessions you can go to. It's kind of hard to pick and choose which ones to do. You're taking tons of notes. And then it really, for me anyway, it takes several days after I get back Mm -hmm. to the real world to sort of sift through and think, okay, what are my takeaways here? That being said, I'm still going to ask the unfair question. What was the thing that, as an analyst, made you think, okay, either because of what I've learned, I'm going to start digging into this industry more, or on the flip side, because of what I've learned and the people I've talked with, I, I, I'm not going to spend as much time worrying about this. And maybe it's the, to the point you just made, David, maybe it's the driver, the idea that driverless cars are going to change the world in the next five to ten years, because they're probably coming. They're just probably not coming that soon. Aaron? Yeah, so we've been saying this a really long time, but just big data, and it's something that just continues to be reinforced again and again. And so I I think it's going to be bigger than really any of us think it will be. Just the idea that the data that you look at, whatever problems you have, the solution is buried in there somewhere. And so we're seeing all these companies rise up, just helping companies figure that out. And so I know we we have some, you know, in our scorecards, um, Splunk as an example. And then um, we, we talk to companies like Tableau, which really help on the visualization of that data element. But really, I just think there's so much opportunity around there. And I, <laughs> I, I know so little about it right now, but it's definitely an area I want to look into some more. David, what about you? No, uh, yeah, Aaron's, yeah, that, that was a great one. Uh, something else that stuck out to me, uh, we went to a session uh, with several female entrepreneurs, and they were talking about the evolution of retail and e-commerce. And both, all, all the, the panelists agreed. Uh, what, one of them that really stuck out was Jennifer Hyman. She, uh, she's a founder and CEO of Rent the Runway. It's, a, it's an app where uh, women can rent clothes, you know, for a special event or what have you. Uh, but they all agreed that, you know, department stores, malls, they're not going away, but they just have to be reinvented to stay relevant. And something that stuck out to me is that they were saying in the future, the retail scene, uh, it'll be more of like a marketing channel rather than something that you want to measure on a sales per square foot basis. And I thought that was interesting because that's really the the early approach that we're seeing with Amazon, where Amazon, they have that, that first retail store in New York that they open and they potentially might get more locations through Radio Shack. Amazon's not going to be worrying about sales per square foot like traditional retailers. Amazon is there. They see it as a marketing channel. You get the hands-on experience because that is something uh, that you can't really get online. So there is the value of, you know, seeing the phone with your hand, you know, testing out tablets. It can be uh, another way to interact with customers. But what what these female entrepreneurs were saying, uh, and they're all involved in e-commerce in different ways, is that retailers uh, will have to measure success in a new way, like sales per square foot. The traditional metrics won't be an effective way to measure how successful you are. Uh, So treating, basically treating retail outlets as a marketing channel rather than a revenue channel. At MarketFoolery is our handle on Twitter. You can follow us. That's at MarketFoolery. A couple of listener comments from David uh, Regoza in California, who writes, I love the podcast. I look forward to them on my morning commutes. It's the only reason I appreciate L.A. traffic. You know, anytime we can help with the traffic, <laughs> happy to help. And from Professor Tom Rooney at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio, in reference to yesterday's podcast, he writes, an expensive bird feeder runs about $100 for the hobbyist. And he included a link to a website called Wild Birds Unlimited, and it was to the uh, a specific model of bird, feed, uh, bird feeder, the 
WBU Eliminator Squirrel Proof Bird Feeder, which retails for $115. So roughly half of what I was going to categorize as expensive, although I will point out that's great that it's squirrel proof, but I think in the wake of yesterday's podcast, we're looking for bear proof. <laughs> if someone can, can put together a bear proof bird feeder, they're going to make a mint. That probably costs more than 115 bucks. So. You know what? You're going to pay more to keep the bears. Away Next from million you. dollar idea. Right there, there you go. There you go. Get on it. Get on it, entrepreneurs. Uh, before we wrap up, one travel tip for anyone who's going to Austin. It can be food-related. It can be sightseeing. What's one thing if someone's going to be in Austin for work or for pleasure? Aaron, one thing they should do. Yeah, so Austin's pretty hipster. So just thinking outside the, the box <laughs> so, a little bit. So set your expectations accordingly when you're having a retail experience? That's what you're saying? Uh, I mean, in any experience. <laughs> Maybe I'm an old man, but, but sometimes you know the, the hipster service, the hipster level of service, not always all like great. Yeah, well... <laughs> No, one area that's kind of cool though is they have so many food trucks around, and so if you if you're just looking for food, maybe bypass the normal restaurant and go check out the streets for some food trucks. There's some really good food around there. There was a Simpsons food truck, right? There was. I took a picture of it. That that might be the pinnacle of my life at this point, <laughs> seeing that in person. What do they serve for those unfamiliar with the animated series, The Simpsons? It's a it, it was a quickie mart. The Quickie Mart, yeah. yeah. And what Apu, were they? Nahaspina Petalon was, you know, the the owner of, of the Quickie Mart. He served squishies and all sorts of other, you know, uh, American delicacies. That's great. Um, one travel tip from you. Uh, I'll go the anti-hipster route. Uh, at one of the evenings, I had some some time, and I, I spent about 30, 45 minutes just going through the state capitol. Uh, you know, Austin is obviously the the capital of, of Texas. The the capital is right, you know, kind of smack dab in the center. Beautiful building, you know, it's 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 impressive. I think Aaron, you were mentioning it's actually bigger than the U.S. Capitol. So Maybe. Texas has to overdo things. I don't know if that's actually everything's bigger the case. in Texas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, it's a beautiful building. Get get a sense for the history. You know, it's free to go in. Just spend. You know, some people you could easily spend a few hours in there, or you know, 30, 45 minutes, just stroll through and take in the sights. All right, David Kretzman, Aaron Bush, thanks for being here, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That does it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.